This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Okay, well, good morning, Mo. Um, I would have to say it's an evening for me, but uh, yes. That's true. That is true. It's morning in Minnesota, and it is evening following a a nice banquet dinner in Japan for you. That's correct. It's around 10 p.m. or so, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, and, you, it's, and you've it's, just done the sprint across the street, and that's so right. I, I, I'm obviously not in my usual spot either. I'm outside the OR, uh, and I don't have my Ortho Joe mug. I imagine you probably don't either, but I've got my, no. I got my. I don't know if you can see this by. Oh wow! Yeah, bone, I do see that. Yeah, bone broke me fixed. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. Getting ready to do clinic and then the OR. So I'll let you introduce our uh, special guest for today, and then we'll be sure. off running. Yeah, it gives me great pleasure, actually, Mark, to introduce someone that's known to both of us. But uh, uh, Dr. Jay Morrow is a colleague of mine for well well over 20 years or so, but uh, currently serves as an associate professor within the, uh, the Department of Surgery at McMaster University, works as an upper extremity surgeon, but that's not why he's here today. Jay, if I could just briefly just introduce you beyond sort of your academic titles, I think... There are many things that uh, I think you've taught me around how to live a, just a better life. And, you know, I think it starts with morning rituals that I think you have asked me to get engaged with and talk about. We've had several interactions, and I have to believe that there are many um, who are listening today or who may be watching this podcast would tend to agree or probably even participating in the same sorts of things that you'll be talking about. I wonder, Jay, if we could start off with just talking about the importance of having sort of a morning ritual and if, you know, and around the issue of importance, what is yours? And I think that'll kind of help us move forward, but it gets back to this issue of mindfulness uh, above all. Sure. So I think we all have our own morning rituals individual to ourselves. And then there's sort of principles of of what a morning ritual can be. So for for me, I think the morning is is a quiet time. I tend to get up before everybody else. So the house is very quiet. And even when you look outside, right, everything is very quiet. The the trees are quiet. The animals are quiet. Uh, So you have that quiet time in the morning to almost set your day. And to me, setting your day leads to hopefully a really good easy day, or it's modulating the ups and downs of the day that, that are going to occur. So I get up like everybody else, and I think, I think the details are important, right? So getting up, you go to the washroom, you uh, brush your teeth, just freshen up, move a little bit. And then, and then for me, my morning ritual has, has really included meditation. 
so that's uh, that's really the main thing that that has helped me cope and learn and set my day and uh, use that piece in the morning to try to permeate my day. And then we can go anywhere you want from there. So there's. Let me there's... ask you this. Let me ask you this. Since we're going to talk a little bit more, and I'm sure Mark will have lots of um, um, additional questions here, but can you speak to, and I'm going to be a little bit, you know, sort of, you know, zero one here, which life before meditation, life after meditation, what, what void has it filled? And I think there's a lot of surgeons who live very busy lives, a lot of researchers listening, a lot of students who are listening, a lot of residents, fellows who are listening, who live very busy lives. And I don't know if necessarily any of us can imagine, okay, well, you know, do I have 30 minutes to do this? And what will it accomplish except delay what I have to do for 30 minutes? You know, I'm being very kind mm -hmm. of, you know, kind of black and white about it, so to speak. But I'm curious from your perspective, what has been the the gap that it's filled for you? And what might be the gap it could fill for others who may not necessarily practice mindfulness? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think so life before meditation. Hmm. I learned transcendental meditation in 1990. So it's been over 30 years. I guess I couldn't really describe much of my life before that, other than I just went with the flow and whatever the day and life gave me, I just dealt with it. But I was much, much younger then. So I learned meditation in medical school. I, I did it with my brother, and it was just something we thought we would do. You know, I think meditation's an interesting paradox, right? It's one of the most simplest things you could ever do with a tremendous upside and benefit. So life after meditation, which would be most of my life, would be developing a sense of calm, peace, um, perspective, connecting to myself, um, learning more about who, who am I and, and what am I here to do. Um, and I think on a practical sense, right? So, you know, your audience is orthopedic surgeons, trainees, researchers, et cetera. You know, you're right. We, we live very, very busy lives. And, um, you know, I, I'm trying to remember uh, who said this, but, you know, uh, they said if you if uh, you need to meditate for 20 minutes a day and, and if you don't have time to meditate, you need to meditate for 30 minutes a day. So it's about setting priorities. Right. It was a Dalai Lama. That's it. <laughs> um, and. You know, we all go through our up and downs, and, and it's not like I don't go through my ups and downs. So life after meditation, I think, really has modulated the ups and downs, right? I, I practice in Canada, same university as uh, Mo at McMaster University, and um, we have the same pressures that I think every OR, every clinic, every hospital administration has. So, you know, it's 2.30, our nurses are going around to see if we need to cancel our last cases or not. But, you know, that's just life and you have to be able to modulate that stress. And, and we get to make choices in life, right? Just like Viktor Frankl in The Man's Search for Meaning, you, you get to choose your response to the stimulus. And, you know, you can choose to be reactive or you can choose to try to be calm, uh, contemplative. And, um, and I think that helps you live your life. Um, you can see the beauty of every situation. I'm not saying this is Pollyanna-ish, right? Uh, because I definitely go up and down. I, I have my emotional outbursts like everyone else does, hopefully less as time goes by and, and, and as I get older. And I think that that connection to meditation just helps the, the voices in your head. 
And I think we all have voices in our head. And it's how much attention you pay to those voices. Do the voices take over? And, you know, I'm actually really curious because whether everybody knows or not, when I got to know Mark, one of the amazing things I found out about him, other than both of your incredible uh, leadership and mentorship and academic skills, but he's a leader and a ment and a uh, elder in his church community. And I thought that was quite fascinating. So I'm also interested in your thoughts too, right? In terms of what you think of, we'll call it spirituality. So it's non-denominational or non-religious and just how does that influence your day-to-day as well? If that's okay to ask. Yeah, Mo, I'll go first. So Jay, I think what you're talking about is balance. You're talking about balance between the physical, although you haven't mentioned that so much, but I, I know you do pay attention to that as well, between the physical and the, the, the emotional, mental, and the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And uh, you make a very excellent point about starting the day. And for me, what my ritual has been for, I don't know, 50 years, I read the Proverbs of Solomon. And there's 31, of, uh, 31 books, and there's 31 days in the month. Uh, and it's uh, it's been a, a very helpful way to modulate my day, as you point out, as well as to, uh, I think, add a little wisdom through all those years of reading those Proverbs. So for me, it, it, as you emphasize, it, it's, it's all about balance and not neglecting the, the spiritual side. Mo, what's been your experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think very much so. I, I would take it from my own perspective as I've I found myself um, reading a lot more, um, not necessarily, you know, direct, you know, books from our own, like, you know, from our own scriptures per se, but books that are metaphorically quite spiritual. So I've said it time and time again, Mark's probably sick yeah. of me talking about the alchemists, but, you know, and Herman Hesse's work mm-hmm. around uh, Siddhartha, but these are quite peaceful because I think what it does is it, it just helps you understand the idea of, you know, living a life and a life that's not perfect. The truth of the matter is, to be human is to err, right? To be human is to have challenges. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's how we look at the world um, and what lens we look at, you know, really can change our perspective. And so I don't know if I have a specific uh, morning ritual per se, but I try to be, I guess, fundamentally, I don't think I would say I practice, you know, meditation, Jay, uh, to your point, mm-hmm. but, you know, but maybe whether it's through a sketching, whether it's through reading a book, whether it's just sometimes just sitting a bike ride, I consider all of that this general amalgam of just being mindful, you know, and being in the moment and just somehow just finding some degree of awe with, uh, you know, being part of this pretty amazing, you know, time we're in. So from that perspective, that's how I would uh, look at it for myself. And I think you're right, Mo. I mean, everybody does it differently, right? You you don't have to sit in a lotus posture in a garden and meditate, uh, like Jay, you. Jay, Jay, there's no way I can do it. I just physically couldn't do it. But anyways, I appreciate you even assuming I could. Uh, anyways, a little bit that. People probably don't know. I bet you could do the lotus posture. But really, you're right. Everyone does it differently. And, you know, you, you could do a walking meditation. Mm-hmm. I do the same as you sometimes. I, It's not like I have every ability to meditate every single morning of my life. If I have a 7 a.m. teaching session or a morning meeting, you know, sometimes I'm like, I, I really need to get out there. I'll, I'll do a 6 a.m. bike ride in the trails. But during that bike ride, I do what you do, Mo. I'm just in the moment. I enjoy nature, et cetera. And that, that's just as calming, I think. So whatever works for you, 
I think we all have different learning styles, right? Auditory, tactile, et cetera. So I think in terms of calming yourself down, connecting with yourself, however you want to do that, again, through art or you do a lot of painting and sketching, that can be really healing and centering. Jake, and I have to believe someone might be wondering this. I certainly was when we first spoke is, I maybe I'm sure I do have a misperception or have had a misperception that to meditate means it is a fairly substantial amount of time to get into the mindset of being able to you know shut everything out and focus on your breathing. I mean, realistically, once you learn the techniques and approaches, how quote efficient can you be with your meditation? Is this something that could be done in a ten minute block? Does it require a minute of twenty minutes or thirty or forty, whatever it may be? I, I have to believe that there'll be folks thinking about this question as you're talking. You know, you know, it's interesting. I just did a quick little search on uh, on that topic and, and even on PubMed, it's there, right? So this is brief daily meditation enhances attention, memory, mood, and emotional regulation in non-experienced meditators. And that's in the Journal of Behavioral and Brain Research in 2019. So very recent. So they looked at a 13-minute guided daily meditation. So really in the end, you can start really small and there's nothing wrong with starting small. And I think the simplest thing is just, just like if you were running a marathon, there's no way you're going to run a marathon tomorrow. You're going to run the marathon by doing a run walk. You might walk for four minutes and run for 30 seconds and then gradually increase that interval. And the gradual is the key. So I think you could just start at honestly one minute. One minute, just sit down, block a minute off in the day. And then as you do it and you start building your, your training, we'll call it, because it is a practice, so it, it really doesn't end, but you'll start noticing the benefits of it. And then, so for me, I do prioritize 20 to 30 minutes every morning. Not every morning, like, like I said, there are different provisos. But if you start small, I think that's the place to start. You don't have to do this massive meditation where it's an hour and you commit all that time. People probably don't want to commit that time at the beginning. And like any interest in life, I think, just as Mark reads the Book of Solomon, I'm sure that might have taken some time to develop to do that. And there was time to say, hey, this is what clicks with me. So start small, one minute, and you don't have to do it in the morning, right? If you feel your morning is rushed, you got to get to work, you have your kids, you have commitments, just do it any time in the day. You, you can be mindful of what you're doing in the day. Maybe you're doing some work on your computer. So just be mindful of your body and your breath and your energy. Am I sitting straight? How are my emotions? What is my energy like? If I'm slumping a little bit, should I get up and walk around, take a little break, get back to work? You can do your meditation while you're doing the dishes, right? You can just turn off your phone, turn off the radio and just do the dishes, right? Whatever that is, just engage in that activity, you can go for a walk, right? So we all commute. You, you can meditate in your car, right? You don't close your eyes. That'd be bad. So I think you can make it practical for your life. And then 
like anything that's fluid and evolves, you'll eventually say, hey, I'd like to do more or not. And that just becomes your choice. I just wanted to say that really well stated, uh, Jay. And if I could uh, invoke a quote from the great philosopher Garth Algauer from Wayne's World, uh, what <laughs> you're talking about is live, live in the now. Live in the now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's interesting you say that, right? Because all of us are products of our lived past. And our behavior in many ways is is influenced by that. And then we're also living in our predicted future, right? And there's always ideas in the past, ideas in the future, and and you really have the now. And 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 that's really the simplicity of it, isn't it? Yes. Right? Yep. I don't know if that answers your question or not. And you know, it's interesting, right? There's an old Zen proverb, right? Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. So you're doing the same thing, but you're just doing it more mindfully, right? So beautiful. make it practical. Jay, so I decide tomorrow I'm going to take my first step. And, you know, I've got a busy day, but I'm going to carve out, let's say, 10 minutes before that I didn't carve out before. What exactly would you suggest I do with that 10 minutes? Like, am I to close my eyes? And then what? What is the process? I, you know, I've heard you use the word breath work, uh, mm-hmm. be in the moment, stillness. Is it to each his own to, to, to figure out what we do or how? Is there, a, um, I guess, a, a, a general recommendation for how someone might begin and what they might do in that first 10 minutes? You know, I think like anything, right? Um, we'll use the analogy of orthopedic surgeons, right? And both of you are trauma guys. So, you know, you wouldn't expect a PGY3 resident to do a complex acetabular fracture. You just wouldn't. That's why you're there as a teacher and a mentor. So find a teacher and a mentor. Now, you may have someone in person, but the beauty of the internet is you can do it virtually. And then you have simple things like YouTube. You could just Google search two-minute guided meditation and then Part of the start of it is when people start meditating, they're they're just like, you know what, I can't stop my thinking. I can't stop the voices in my head. I just can't. Well, the guidance that you get from a meditation teacher on YouTube is what will help modulate those voices in your head. And that's where you start. Start slow. I think that's a simple thing. And if you really want to get into it, do a one-day retreat. Do a weekend retreat, do a week long retreat. So maybe instead of going to the Caribbean and lying on the beach, and there's that's wonderful, but maybe you say, hey, I'm gonna try a meditation retreat and just check it out and see what it does for you. So yeah, I think there's lots of um, lots of ability, lots of opportunity. It's just being creative and finding them. And then, like anything, maybe you find a friend or a family member, do do it with them. Mo will do it with you. Happy to do it. Jay, you know that. I'm there for you, my friend. But I, I actually, you, have be, you have to be there for me, I think, the other way around. Yeah. But let me ask you this, Jay. Let me ask you this. So is there, um, I lost my train of thought. See, I was in the moment and I completely lost my train of thought. Um, that's beautiful. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Mark, that's what, that, that's what knowing Jay is like. There is no wrong. Like I can never do a wrong because he just makes me feel right all the time, which is very nice. But principally though, Jay, like mm-hmm. when, when we, 
when we talk about um, like sort of the practice you've had, and you've been doing this for, for a number of years, mm-hmm. how has it actually impacted sort of just just your just your views on work or the way you interact at work or the way you know just you are as a human being at work have you noticed have you noticed a difference or has someone else come up to you and said hey jay this is you're 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 different um than you were before and i'm guessing the answer is probably no but i i am curious hmm. yeah interesting i've never thought of it that way well, well let's just address work first uh, what other people think is what they think i guess right mm-hmm. so you know, uh, I know I do speak to the odd patient who's receptive about meditation, and I'm always, I don't ask, so I, I don't know. I'm curious what the nurses and, and the residents and the fellows think of that. And, and I think in, in general, they think it's a good thing. But for work, you know, I think for me, it's going into a busy fracture clinic. I think that's one of the toughest days for me, for what I do. And some surgeons love fracture clinic. I think most of us like the OR. but it's coping, right? It's just coping with all the ups and downs that occur. And we deal with the public. So we're going to hopefully have a lot of satisfied patients, but we're going to have a number of unsatisfied patients. And that's just being able to, instead of react to them, sit back and listen and, and give them space to speak and be understood and heard. That's the kind of the clinical side of things. And then, you know, when you're in the OR, I call the OR a very special environment, right? It's not like I can say, hmm, this is a problem. I don't know how to fix this. I'll go away and read about it and come back tomorrow and fix it. It doesn't work that way. So you are there, you must make a decision. And are there times for me in my complex cases that I'm not sure what to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. So does it get less as I progress in my career? Yes, but it does happen. Maybe it's a tough trauma case or tough reconstruction case of an elbow, whatever that is. And you know what I do? I, I've never advertised it, but I say, okay, well, let's get some irrigation. And while I'm irrigating or the, the resident fellows irrigating, I'll just stay calm. And I just feel like my mind is empty. And you know, it's interesting. I just think things come to you. Hmm. I don't know if that's been your experiences or not, but I think Einstein even said that, right? Like he said, uh, we cannot solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we use when we created them. So I think just the practice of meditation, the practice of calming your mind down helps you cope with these tougher, maybe we'll call them edge case scenarios. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Do you have any advice for someone who might be you know, unsure about it. Uh, and maybe you've already said this, but I'm just asking maybe restate what you've been saying, which is advice for someone who, you know, to help them understand why this is something that should become part of your daily ritual. Some period of time in which you're in the moment and you can call it meditation, you can call it mindfulness, but. Um, So absolutely. So, you know, there's this interesting concept called diathesis, right? So diathesis is the vulnerability of an individual experiencing stress to a pathological consequence such as organ pathology or system dysfunction, like chronic pain. So what what are the benefits of meditation for all of our individual vulnerabilities, right? So you can Google search, you can PubMed search effects of meditation. There's over three to 400 studies from the David Lynch Foundation or from the Transcendental Meditation Foundation who partnered with top-level universities, Harvard, Yale, et cetera, 
that look at the benefits. So, so what are the benefits, right? The benefits are reduced stress and anxiety, right? And, and we know people, not just patients, surgeons that are stressed or anxious have different physiological reactions and psychological reactions to stress. Uh, meditation reduces depression. It reduces insomnia. It can help you sleep at night, lowers your blood pressure. They've shown studies that it reduces congestive heart failure, reduced uh, coronary artery disease, decreased free radicals in your body, so greater levels of antioxidants, reducing metabolic syndrome or pre-diabetes. Now, remember, this is a piece of the puzzle, right? I'm not saying it cures anything. I'm just saying it benefits these things. It reduces pain, higher levels of brain function, improved intelligence, creativity, and learning ability, improved academics for, for those of you who have students at home, improved school behavior, it increases your longevity. We'll call it health span versus lifespan. So for the years that you live, living a little more healthy, reduce substance abuse, improved memory, and this concept of what's called brain coherence. The thoughts of brain coherence is that when you meditate, you can actually synchronize different areas of your brain on EEG, and this has been shown, and that leads to another concept called heart coherence. And then you get into this heart-brain coherence that occurs, and that has tremendous benefits for your, your health and well-being. So I think there's many, many benefits that can be derived from this. And, and there's many ways to do it, whether it's mindfulness or a meditation or a guided meditation or however that, however you want to do it. Jay, thank you so much uh, for sharing your wisdom with us and uh, for your practical experience. And I'm sure that uh, all of the listeners and watchers will be benefactors of, uh, of your, I think I would call it a challenge uh, to consider mm. a little more balance uh, in life uh, and living in the now. So uh, we wish you a wonderful Fracture Clinic this afternoon. Uh, and uh, Mo, we wish you safe travels from Japan. And uh, Jay, you'll be receiving a uh, priceless uh, Ortho Joe uh, mug for being uh, uh, interviewed by uh, Mo and I. And thank you so much. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I, I really, really do appreciate it. Have a great day. Great to be again, Jay. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.